Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. As a believer, as a son and daughter in Almighty God, what is more enjoyable than a stable walk with God? Where I walk with Him, I talk with Him, I'm led by Him, I hear Him in ways I see Him. God is just stable in my being, and my being is stable in Him. What, on the other hand, is more frustrating more confusing than a son and daughter who says we believe in God yet we do not experience the stability that we believe God should be able to afford us. My question now is what makes me stable in God? What makes me unstable in God? In this message, I want to explore several dynamics, several points, if you will, that stabilizes my walk with God. And I tell you, perhaps you've had this experience, when, when God is stabilized in your being, do you not just have energy in life and confidence in life and optimism and hope and endurance in life? On the other hand, if you are not stable in God, and if I can say God is not stable in you, then is it not true that life is just a bother? It's a schlep. It's aggravating. It's frustrating and it's confusing. Again, what did I do? What steps have I taken then to land myself in that unstable experience? Come with me and let's explore a little bit what stabilizes me and what destabilizes me in the spiritual life. Shalom means safety, to be well, to be happy, to have health. That word shalom is a compounded word with an all-encompassing meaning of just wholeness. Anything that is good, benevolent, anything that brings for rest and completeness and tranquility and stability. If you look up in a, in a Hebrew dictionary the word shalom, it, it's more than just peace. It's like... Anything that is good, anything that is whole, anything that stabilizes you, let that be towards you. So in uh, the Hebrew culture, the Israeli culture, they even greet each other with the word uh, shalom. In the Hebraic culture, they say salem. And it, it, it just means shalom, peace to you, brother. But peace in the sense of wholeness. And that really is what God is after, to be real in you, to, to be whole in you. And then I like this word, notice in your notes there, God's peace is not just tranquility and peace the way we think of a hippie. But I want you to notice the word in there, stability. 
stability. That is what peace is about. So peace is tranquility, wholeness, healing, health. All this stuff is in that word peace. But towards what end? What is the peace supposed to accomplish for you? Stability. When was the last time you met a person that is stable in his walk with God? Or when was the last time you were just stable in your walk with God. Again, I submit to you that many of us, we don't have the baptism, the experience of God's shalom, so we live a circumstantial life. If things go great, praise the Lord. If things go bad, ugh, curse the Lord. Unstable. And we have this vision even from the uh, letter of James to the Jewish tribes where he said, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And I watch me, and I watch us as believers often, we're, we're tossed hither and thither, all over the place, unstable. And then James goes on to say that an unstable man, a double-minded man, a man that thinks this way and thinks that way, that man will receive nothing from God. And I've experienced it in my life. If I don't have stability and a one-track mind with God, I'm tossed every which way. The tide may turn me. Like a tree, I'm blown this way and then I'm blown that way. And so I'm unstable and I watch believers just wishy-wishy. How do you say? Wishy-washy, iffy-iffy. Unstable. God did not die on a cross so you could live an iffy, iffy, wishy-washy kind of a life. He died so that you could experience Him in stability. It's, it's, it's for us today. All right. Finney of Ignoramius says, Peace does not necessarily make life any better. Oh, glory. Peace causes freedom from resentment and bitterness. See, peace is not, and we'll get to this, uh, circumstantial harmony, tranquility, but peace is more often something that happens within you like it did for Gideon. The army was still there. They still had to fight with God and partner with God. But something happens within you that does not cause you to be bitter and resentful and fearful and anxious, etc., etc. Uh, point number two. God's will for man... It's peace. And then I go on to say there, God is not at war with you. I have a lot of passages there. Let me go through them real quickly. In Genesis 3, the point I want to make there is when Adam and Eve fell, that is, they sinned, God came and called out to them and said, Adam, where are you? God knew where Adam was, but when God comes and He calls, Adam, where are you? He was not necessarily out to, 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 to find them and crush them and hurt them. He was calling so that they would respond in faith to Him. And He wasn't at war with them. If you read the, the Genesis story, after they sinned and, 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 and God says, hey, consequentially, a few things are going to happen as a result, God clothes them with the skins of animals. God commits a sacrifice 
and He covers them. We'll look at that tomorrow. If God was at war with them, He would have just flicked them and obliterated them. And yet God comes and He seeks them out and He covers them. And of course, there were consequences. But the bottom line is God is not at war with you. So when things happen in your life, it is not God at war with you. It's just circumstances, baby. It'd be very wise to stop blaming God for your circumstances and just say, hey, I live in a world where there are cause and effect relationships. Okay, God, baptize me in peace through this. Um, in number six there on your notes, for instance, the priest would bless the people. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you His Shalom. It's like God wants to give you peace. Psalm 29, Isaiah chapter um, 9, um, he's called the Prince of Peace. In uh, Matthew 11, he says, Come to me if you are weary and burdened and, 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 and weighed down, and I will give you peace. I'll give you rest. It's the will of God. Um, in Luke 2, Verse 14, actually everybody turn to the Christmas story. It's the season. Let's bring Jesus back into the season, right? The reason for the season, right? Y'all know that Christmas is actually pagan, right? Okay, we're not going to go into all of that, you people. You, you know that Jesus wasn't born on December the 21st. The sun god of Egypt, Ra... The Persian god Mithras, the Greek god Zeus, and the Roman god Jupiter were all born on December the 25th. So when Constantine took over the Roman Empire at that time and Christianized everybody, um, he said, well, since all the other gods were born on December the 25th, the winter solstice, we'll just put Jesus in with them all. But okay, y'all, that's not what I was trying to say. I'm digressing. Luke, what? Luke chapter 2. You read this every Christmas. It gets preached every Christmas. So we might as well preach it right now. Look at Luke chapter 2. This to me is just so beautiful. Verse 12, you're going to find this sign. There will be a baby wrapped in uh, swaddling clothes, lying in a manger or a cave. And suddenly there was with this angel a multitude of an heavenly army praising God. Um, of course, this is the uh, uh, announcement now of the Messiah. Now look at this announcement. They say, these angels, glory in the highest, glory to God in the highest, and peace to His people on earth. Christ came and once again embodied for us the shalom of God. And man, there was no more a man that ever lived stable on this earth than the Lord Jesus, hey? Come storm, come demon, come devil, nothing shook this man's cage. Hey, there's a storm raging all about him circumstantially, but he is the embodiment of peace, and he's out <laughs> for the count. 
But he says here, through this Messiah, through this man's birth, what really does he want to accomplish? Among many things, peace and good will towards all men. God wants to be peaceful towards you and wants you to live in peace. And God wants to bestow good, however that is defined in His terms, to you. And of course, this is celebrated at the Christmas time every year, but man, we are also anxious. This is not the present that I wanted. And we're all fretting about our New Year's, year's resolutions. And we celebrate a, a birth where the announcement is glory to God and peace to you. And yet we never experience glory to God and peace to us. So I hope this upcoming Christmas season, um, y'all could get with it a little bit, people, and get back to the guts, really, of what's going on. Peace to His people on earth. Okay. Um, let's skip over to bullet number three. Point number three. The accomplishments of Christ on the cross brought peace to you. I want you to quickly turn with me to um, Colossians chapter 1. Let's pick it up in uh, verse 19, Colossians chapter 1. For in Him, the context here is Jesus Christ, for in Christ, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So, Jesus, the man was the embodiment of the fullness of God. Can you agree with me intellectually? All right. So as we saw the Christ, the man, we would in a way see the heart of God. He reflected, he embodied the heart of God. And the fullness of God was in this man. What a marvelous sentence. Whew. Verse 20. Now, what does this fullness of God in Christ want to accomplish? So all of God was invested into this man, Jesus Christ, His Son. Now, what does this fullness want to accomplish? Well, verse 20 is the effect of that cause. Verse 19. Through Him, God wants to reconcile all things to Himself. And He wants to make peace through the blood of of His cross. There it is. Another reason we say, why did Jesus die? Why did Jesus come? Most of us would just say, Jesus came so that I could, you know, um, be free from my sin and I can go to heaven. Amen. That's all good. But here is a marvelous verse that says, Jesus died and His cross accomplished peace between you and God. God is no longer mad at you. God is not at war with you. God is not contrary to you. God is at peace with you. Why? Because of Christ. So Christ accomplished this peace, this tranquility, but in my vernacular, this stability between you and God. So in other words, if you do not have a stable spiritual life, you are not allowing the work of the cross to have a full effect on your life. The issue is not God. When will you? Why didn't you? You. The issue is you are not allowing 
the full effect of his work to be efficacious to you. Point number four, peace is God dispensed into the believer for his dispositional stability amidst circumstantial instability. Peace is the presence and the person of God added to my being to endure through difficulties. He is the man in the fire. And in context there, if you go to the book of Daniel, those three boys, Hananiah, uh, Azariah, and Mishael, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said to the king, listen, um, if God saves us from this fire or not, we are not going to bow to you. And they had such a peace. They were baptized in peace. And the circumstance didn't change. The fire got even hotter, seven times hotter. But they were baptized in a reality of stability. So whether we die or whether we live, we belong to God. We're not going to bow to you, Nebuchadnezzar. There was something stable about them. Yet circumstantially, nothing was stable. Then they get tossed into the furnace... That's seven times hotter than regular, and there's a man in the fire with them. And that really is what peace is about. It's not the circumstance, it's who's with you through the circumstance. Amen. Amen. I'm just trying to describe Jesus to you here for a minute. Okay? Point number five. Peace is a reality for those in the kingdom of God. Turn to Romans chapter 14. This sentence doesn't say what we want it to say. But this sentence is a description of the kingdom of God. Paul could have used so many other descriptions, but he didn't. Look here. For the kingdom of God, the realm of God, the reality of God, this is what life in God is all about. I would have said the life of God or the life in God is all about prosperity. It's all about, let's say, comfort. It's all about being accepted and having friends. If I look at the Christian culture, we're attracted to everything but the things he's speaking about in here. But he goes on, he says, The kingdom of God is actually not an issue of eating or drinking. For many of us, it is an issue of eating and drinking. But here he says in context, it's a much bigger context, it's not about eating or drinking. Then he goes on and he gives three descriptions. It is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And he, he mentions three things here that's his description of the kingdom of God. And I know me, righteousness. Righteousness is to be in the way of God, in right standing with God. I watch us as Christians, we're so afraid because we're not sure we're righteous with God. And Paul says, kingdom living is people that are confident that they're forgiven, confident that they're accepted by God, confident that they are righteous with God. Paul goes on, he says, the kingdom of God is an issue of peace, shalom, wholeness, stability. And I watch us as believers, even myself at times, I'm like, oh, anxious, fearful, worried, and troubled, and afraid, nonstop. And Paul's like, no, this is what the kingdom of God wants to do for you, peace. And then, of course, join the Holy Ghost. Apparently, Christians ought to be happy. 
Just saying. Apparently, we should be full of joy. And these are realities of the kingdom of the heaven, the kingdom of God. And peace is one of them. Now, I, I, I put other stuff in there like the kingdom of God is about entertainment. The kingdom of God is about division and sects and denominations. And the kingdom of God is about my will and please me. It's all about me, me, me. I can fill so many other things in there, but notice what he says. Righteousness, peace, enjoy the Holy Spirit. Number six on the back of your notes. Uh, peace is not my temperament. However docile or tranquil I am in my uh, dispositional temperament. Peace is something added from the realm of God. Actually, peace is just God. Peace is not just a gift from God or let's say a fruit of the Spirit. Peace is just God Himself added to your being. I remember God saying to Abraham or to Abram at that time, I want to be your exceedingly great reward. I am just wants to be to us whatever we would need. So God himself is the joy. God is the righteousness. God is the peace. Point number seven. Peace, though, is not to be ignorant or naive or in denial of the circumstances. Peace is to be fully aware of life's instabilities, yet stable in the Spirit's reality. Peace is not to like have your head stuck in the sand and be oblivious and in denial as to how bad things are. When things are bad in your life, have the courage to say, y'all, things are really bad right now. Don't be like so many folk, just like fake it, like, oh, nothing's really wrong, everything's okay, and call that peace. You're a liar. Don't be in denial. Peace is to acknowledge, hey, things are really bad. Things are difficult right now. So, it's not to be in denial. I put there in your notes Acts 27. We do not have time to go into this, but I don't have a verse to point out. I wanted to read the whole chapter for you. I don't think that's going to happen right now. It's too much. But I want to ask you to consider when you have a little time to read Acts chapter 27. And you will see the story of the Apostle Paul that is a prisoner en route to Rome. And everything goes wrong in that chapter. If you have a pencil and you mark every negative thing in that chapter, every wind and every shipwreck and every fear, you'll see the entire chapter circumstantially is just horrific. 
But there's a man in the middle of that chapter by the name of the Apostle Paul. And you see a man that is stable. And he is not in denial that the circumstance is bad. And he says to people, this is bad. But God's going to bring us through. He reckons and considers the circumstance. And he's not in denial. He's fully cognizant of what's going on. But he chooses to trust God. And he stays stable in the baptism of peace, so to speak. So go read that chapter and you'll see in the middle of that chapter is a man who's constantly um, surrounded by just chaos and mayhem, yet he stays the course without denying the circumstance. And that to me is spirituality. It's a man who can be honest. Life is brutal right now. Yet, I'm at peace. That was the point I wanted to make there. The next uh, little heading, real briefly, peace. The peace that God gives us is multidimensional. There's a lot here, but I'll be brief. Of course, peace can be a reality with God. Um, it's, it's really the heart of God that you and Him are on talking terms. It's the heart of God that you are okay with Him because He's a-okay with you. Romans chapter 5 is so beautiful. It speaks about how we've been justified before God so that we can be at peace with God. God is at peace with me. So this connection between you and your Lord should not be an aggravation. It should not be a war. It should not be a fight. God is at peace with you. He wants you to be at peace with Him. It can be a reality. Number two, peace can be a reality in captivity. Again, the circumstance is captivity. And if you look a little bit at Exodus, you look a little bit at Jeremiah and, and many passages in the New Testament, there are folk that are in captivity, yet they have peace in captivity. And we know this of the martyrs. Many of the stories that we have of the martyrs are as they were being led to the slaughter, they were in peace, they were stable. It can be a reality. Number three, peace can be a reality when we suffer. I mean, the Bible is replete with examples of people where everything goes wrong, and yet somehow they're stable in the peace of God. Because God actually is the man in the fire with them. Number four, peace can be a reality when... Uh, there is scarcity in your life when there is lack. The other day I told you God is provider, but He is not Jehovah pamper. He's not going to pamper you. <laughs> there is at times uh, God will call you to suffer. Have you all ever read uh, Philippians 1 verse 29? No, you haven't because it says it's the will of God that you suffer. That didn't make it to the bumper sticker promise magnet on the fridge. Nobody's ever tattooed that on their chest. But yeah, there are times when we... One verse 29, it's an awful verse in the Bible. Just don't even read it, it's awful. But no, God, God will at times not come through abundantly. But the peace will be abundant. 
the intangible spirit within you will be rich. But circumstantially, it may not all pamper you. Yet, in that scarcity, you could be very rich in God. And that's what the spiritual life is about. Paul would say, I've learned to be content in all things. When I have much, when I have little, I'm just steady. And that's what the world needs from us as, as the Christians, is steady people who stay the course. If we have much, we give God praise. We have little, <laughs> we give God more praise. Amen. Uh, number five there, peace can also be a reality with your enemies. There's many passages. I, I, I don't have space in my notes to give you all the passages. But obviously, peace with God, peace in captivity, peace in suffering, peace in, in lack, and peace with that very boss, that professor, that sister, that father. God is very well able to do this, and He wants that to be our reality. How do I walk in this peace? How do I get this peace? Well, it is a baptism from God. It is, it is really from God. But to partner with the peace of God, the, the stability of God, the, the wholeness of God, we have a hint here as to something that you can do. Isaiah <clears throat> Chapter 26, look at verse 3. And I want to hear it from a couple other translations, if you will, please. You will keep him steadfast, the steadfast of mind, in perfect peace, because he trusts in you. You will keep the steadfast of mind, the person who is steadfast in his mind, you will keep him in perfect peace. Your Bible may say it this way. I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on me, steadfast on me. You are stayed on God, dependent on God, steadied on God, stable, focused. Now that exact verse is in Romans chapter 8. Let's go there. Romans 8. It says exactly the same thing. If you pick it up in verses, uh, oh, let's back up a little bit to um, verse 5. For those who walk according to the flesh, those who are inclined to the flesh, they mind the things of the flesh. But those who are inclined to the Spirit, those who are according to the Spirit, they mind the things of the Spirit. Look at verse 6. For the mind that is set on the flesh, the mind that is towards the self, the old man, the flesh, the world, the mind that is steadied on the flesh, what will be your experience? Death. Do you see that? The mind that is set on the flesh is death. That's your experience. 
And with death comes anxiety and fear, etc., etc. But notice here, verse 6, in contrast, the mind that is steadied on the Spirit, the mind that is inclined towards the Spirit. So apparently your mind can go one of two ways. You can incline your mind to God, or you can incline your mind to the flesh. And if you incline your mind to the flesh, you experience death. But notice, if you incline to God, it says there, you experience life and, yes, life and peace. But the injunction here is actually not that the Spirit control us, but that we sit. That is, we partner. We stay with God. So no wonder God will often allow discombobulated circumstances into your life so that you can have a choice to stay on the flesh or stay on the Spirit. So how do we experience peace? No doubt it's from God. No doubt it's a baptism out of the heavens, boof, into Gideon's heart. But you play a role with it. God knocks at the door and says, hey, I want to baptize you with peace. Then you have a choice to say, amen, Lord, or amen, world. You decide where you put your mind. And if you put your mind on the affairs of this world, you will reap the affairs of this world. If you put your mind on the affairs of God, you will reap from God life and peace. All right. How do I walk in peace? Well, stay on God. Meditate on God. Number two, discover life's principles from the Word of God. Learn a little bit the principles of God's economy so that you don't get into a pinch that robs your peace. Most of us want to live loose, selfish, for me, we don't obey God's economy, then we get into a bind, an exile, captivity, and it robs our peace. Now we just want God all of a sudden to baptize me in peace. He will and He might, but at times God is like, no, you're a doofus, you need to repent from not living a principled life. Because you keep doing the wrong thing, which I've instructed you how to do it. You keep doing your own way, your own will. No wonder you're in a bind. No one, you're the cause of your own anxiety. Occasionally, young people come to me. My girlfriend is pregnant. What do I do? I just lost my job. What do I do? We pray, we comfort, oh, Holy Spirit, come. After we've prayed for them, we just look them straight in the eye and say, you're an idiot. You are doofus with a capital D, you. <laughs> then I ask the question, what steps did you take to land you in this situation? No, it's the devil that made me do this. It's the woman you gave me. Uh, idiot with a capital L. Loser. <laughs> what steps did you take to get your girlfriend pregnant? Was it an immaculate conception? Or did you have to tango with her a bit? You, give me a baseball bat. So I'm a very bad counselor because I have a Bible in the one hand and a baseball bat in the other. So it just, it doesn't, 
comfort people a whole lot. But here's the thing is, God, that's why we're instructed by the Spirit in certain things, so that you don't get in a bind a certain way. And now all of a sudden, I need a breakthrough. We have way too many breakthrough songs. There's way too many breakthrough books. Why? Because we live like idiots. If we live in the economy of God, we don't need breakthrough all the time. Sooner or later, we have to break through and live the normal Christian life and live according to the economy of God. So, peace, yes. When we're even an idiot, you know, he who lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and God will give the wisdom to you without finding fault. You know, where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. God's not going to condemn us. There's no condemnation. But sooner or later, you just have to learn a couple of lessons how to live this life. Don't get drunk at a party and then crash the car tomorrow and then like, God, why? If you never greet anybody and nobody ever then befriends you, stop having a pity party. It's your fault. You greet somebody. You step out in a risk a little bit. Well, I just don't have no friends. Because you're afraid to be vulnerable and expose yourself and shake a hand and say, hello. Stop blaming everybody and begin to live by certain principles and learn these principles. And you'll stay in peace. Now, if we get into a pinch, God is freedom. He is deliverer. Amen and amen. But I, I tell you, sometimes I just wonder if God doesn't deliver us because we are unrepentant of the way we've lived. That's not an absolute statement. That's just... Number last, keep your mind on God. Learn life's principles so you don't stumble into all these ditches and need God to be your rescue one 911 agent. But number three, learn then to walk in the Holy Spirit. It's not rocket science. Learn to walk in the Spirit. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Not in the circumstance, in the Holy Ghost. So we say at the school, host the ghost. Make your body a host for the Holy Ghost. Uh, lastly, uh, James uh, Conrad says, I take it that what all men are really after is some form of perhaps even a formula of peace. Augustine said, our hearts remain restless until they rest in God. You can be at peace with God because Christ paid a horrific price for you to be at peace with Him. We'll look at that tonight. If ever a thought comes into your mind again that God is at war with you, that is satanic. That's a lie. The punishment for your peace between you and God was taken out on Jesus Christ. God's not mad at you anymore. We'll look at that tonight. So you can have a real, enjoyable, peaceful walk with God. You can be at peace with your enemies, with your circumstance, with 
bottom line of this lesson is apparently it's God's desire that we live a stable life. And so I wish that for you. I bless you with that. God wants stability for you. Now, none of us are perfect. I just want you to look at example here. I blow it. We make mistakes. But I'm at peace with God. And as I make mistakes, God keeps me and I stay stable. But if tomorrow I choose to become a rebel again and I reject the economy of God, the way of God, the principles of God, and, and I act all loosey-goosey and I walk in my flesh and how I want it, then yeah, I'm going to really blow it. But God has created a life for you that is stable. So don't settle for instability when God has peace for you. Amen.